how are you? I know you were on holidays. Yeah, for sure. I'm happy to join. I came back on Saturday evening from Italy. And of course, since I'm based in Berlin, I just received my suitcases. It's great. <laughs> Super late. Everything's there, though. Super happy to be here. That's awesome. And how, how was Italy? Was it too hot? I know there was a heat wave there. Did you, did you catch that or did you were lucky to be somewhere else? The heat was like it's the summer, so obviously it's hot. It was super nice, and I had the pool and I had the ocean too. It was warm. I went to warm weather, so I can't complain. And the last days were so pleasant, just really good vibes. And of yeah, course, I deleted Twitter for for the length of my holidays. It was so nice. Yeah, that's a smart. That's a, <laughs> I I'm a big fan of the airplane mode especially on, on holidays and yeah that's great to hear so you recharge your batteries and now you're back and i know you have been around maria paula for, for a long time in the space maybe we could start there so for those that don't know you or are not familiar with what you have done could you maybe uh, share a bit of uh, how you got started into web3 and summary of all the projects you have been involved Yeah, of course. Uh, there's three people in the audience that I know actually personally, and uh, one of them that I've known for a very long time. So this will be a little bit repetitive for them. But of course, we're recording a podcast here. Uh, so sorry, Mikey, Asra, and uh, Tali or Kyle, whoever is behind the Lovit account. I think it's Tali. Uh, but I'm going to repeat myself again. I've been in crypto since 2017, and I stumbled into crypto in funny way i knew that all my friends were in bitcoin buying drugs and stuff uh but i didn't need to buy drugs through bitcoin i i could just get them on the street i live in berlin and i'm from buenos aires argentina so that was pretty easy and straightforward instead i was actually organizing a series of workshops at refugee shelters in berlin And we met this little kid through the refugee shelter. His name is Ali, and he wanted to be a developer back then. I don't know now. One of my friends told me, hey, why don't you bring Ali to the dev shop and we tell him what we do? I thought that was amazing. I, I acted as Ali's chaperone. This guy shows up and explains blockchain, and I'm like, holy shit, this changes everything. Being from Argentina, the idea of a transparent ledger or the possibility of building new, different and alternative systems uh, try to fix a little bit everything that's broken with my country and everywhere else was just mind-blowing for me. Turns out that guy was explaining blockchain really well because he is Gavin Wood and he is the co-founder of Ethereum. After that talk, I told my friend who brought us there, hey, I want to work in blockchain. I'll, I'll just get a job as an assistant or something. I don't care. I think that the agenda and the ideas are actually incredible. So I want to contribute. A few months later, there was an open position for an assistant. And I applied. I started working as employee number three of the Web3 Foundation and Polkadot in July of 2017. Really fast, I worked my way up, mainly because we were three people and they didn't know anything about communications or about um, talking to people or about like 
human relationships or anything at all. We were surrounded by developers. We really needed to get the message out, especially because the Polkadot ICO was coming very close and they had zero infrastructure to make it happen or, or zero communication channels. I did the ICO with, together with my colleagues and then the subsequent parity hacks. I don't know if here someone was around, but there were huge hacks. No, I, I was just going to say I wasn't around. I, you were. Then. I wasn't. <laughs> but that's exciting. Maria, I didn't know you were yeah. working at Polkadot. Actually, you got introduced by Wood, by the Ethereum co-founder. Yeah. That's the yeah. best way to really get lucky. in. I was so lucky. <laughs> I thought that everyone could explain blockchain like he did. I was so wrong, too. When I got to the first day of the job and I tried to get people to explain me something because I had to learn everything from scratch. They were all developers that didn't know how to talk to women, of course. Zero girlfriends, all the memes were real. No one wanted to explain anything to me. I had to read white papers from scratch and try to work my way to understanding stuff. Back then, there weren't the educational resources that we had back then. That brings me to what I did next, actually. At the end of the year, after the parity hack, I discovered the Ethereum community. I couldn't believe that that thing existed. I decided to start searching for a job within Ethereum. That was sort of like a wrong decision, financially speaking, because if had I stayed in Polkadot for a very long time, I probably wouldn't be working now. But I don't regret anything. I found a job at Golem, which was one of the OG Ethereum projects. And I started working at Golem. I actually stayed at Golem for five years. I started as community manager, ended as advisor to the board of directors. Uh, that was a really big ride with them. Together with that, they gave me a lot of freedom to do whatever I wanted in terms of community, in terms of our brand, expanding the awareness around the developer community about Golem. They also gave me a very, very nice office at a co-working space in Berlin called Full Node, which was the first co-working space for blockchain. So I could have friends because they were all in Poland and I had no friends. Immediately, I met a lot of people there. And based on my experience of having such a tough first month in blockchain, where I really had to read like white papers full of maths that were like way over my head and everything, I wanted to do something to educate other people. Together with my friends from the co-working space, we started East Berlin, which was a hackathon that ran for two years that had a very strong mix of hackathon and a cultural festival. It was really fabulous. We could expose hackers to a lot of the Berlin culture, which is also super special to me. That was really amazing. And from there, we started expanding the original idea of having a hackathon to having a non-profit organization that would help in educating people about blockchain technologies and about culture around them. All of a sudden, throughout the road in 2018, I stumbled onto NFTs in a very unlikely place. I was at a grand giving ceremony with Golem in Tokyo in my second month at the job, I think. This guy was waiting for us to give him his grant. He was like, I'm working in NFTs. He started explaining them to me. Brilliant guy, Matt Condon. He calls himself the grandfather of NFTs. And he truly is. He was building NFT infrastructure in early 2018. So imagine. I thought that was amazing. I, I thought that matched uh, my interest of culture and my interest of blockchain. Uh, it was another aha moment. So I mm. integrated NFTs into 
um, the Department of Decentralization's practice and event. Also organized the first conference of NFTs, the NFT Summit in 2018 in San Francisco, which was really weird and funny. Jonathan Mann <laughs> from Sangaday sung there. Uh, <laughs> well, why was it weird? Because back then, NFTs were just an ERC standard. So we had a lot of use cases for that crazy use cases like from property titles to invoices to this and that art was like on john from super rare was already at the hackathons and he was already with his ipads showing art but it was one of the use cases it wasn't the use case i still thought it was the use case uh, the one that interested me the most uh, but i found purpose on the rest of them as well so the conference was like a mix mishmash of people that were finding use cases for NFTs and none, none of us could have expected that art and let alone BFPs would be actually the use case. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting because, I mean, this was five years ago and NFTs, you could say, became popular in 2021, half of 2021, so three years after that. Maria Paula, you mentioned a couple of times that during those years or the first year, it was very complicated, the technical things that you had to learn, you had to read white papers. These days, probably there are many more products, things are getting better, but still I feel, and what I hear from my readers and from different collectors is that that's still the case, that it's still very complex. What have you noticed during these, let's say five years that have changed, if you notice any that have improved that drastically compared to those, the Wild West of 20, 2018. What would you say is the main things that have improved? I think it's a different context. I had to learn about blockchain because my job depended on it. I really wanted to make this my career. So I had to have a level of education that was really good. For that, I could not rely on, for example, explainers from crypto bros that were around already because that wasn't sufficient for me to be able to communicate what my peers were developing. So it was really hard, but there were some resources. Now, what I observe is that actually there's plenty of resources. There's really easy resources, at least if you want to put some hours into it. But there's also an abundance of bullshit. The thing with this is that people can easily Google whatever they want to learn and probably they will get the wrong source. It's just so bad. There's so many bullshitters around. So I think that's where the difficulty lays. It's not in the lack of accessible resources for different audiences. It's because there's just a lot of bros thinking that they know shit and trying to scam people into joining their meme coin or whatever NFT scam they're trying to join. And that creates a whole scene of people that really don't have the way to find good and trusted resources. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, we can see that on Twitter every day. We can see that on YouTube. We can see different kind of influencers. And besides the scams, there are some things that are clearly scams and there are some that are in between. Not yeah. directly a scam, but it's probably where most, let's call them newcomers, get to those that are in between and of course the technology is kind of complex if you are in like a technical person a technical developer then it gets tricky i understand what you mean if you know where to find the information these days you can find the good stuff if you go to the 
the main websites of the blockchains. If you go to the main websites of the different crypto wallets, you can find the right information there. That makes a lot of sense. So you wanted a, a pure understanding of, on how everything worked. And yeah, five years ago, that was complicated. So we are in 2018. And you mentioned you were running some events. You had a couple of jobs at Polkadot. And you start to shift your interest in NFTs. You were sure you wanted to have a career in this space. What happened after Maria Paula in 2018, five years ago from now? What was your next move? Um, since I had a stable job and I was very happy with what I was developing on the side, I started consulting also. I'm so grateful that Golem gave me so much freedom. It's insane. If they knew how many jobs I had back then, it's, it's just crazy. But I started consulting on the side because I learned by doing, and I was still very curious about a lot of things. And people, since I was one of the first ones working around my areas of expertise, they also needed my services. But then now there's like so many more talented communicators and strategists than I. But back then I was just one of 10, maybe. I was consulting for many other projects and I was also researching and writing about NFTs, most specifically about blockchain art. NFTs, they were like a little bit undercooked for me, but a blockchain art or the use of blockchain as a medium, as a medium means as you would use a paintbrush was really, really attractive to me. One of my friends uh, from another walk of life, Sina, I got her to organize uh, some art installations for our first hackathon for East Berlin. She got the blockchain bug and she came to me with a proposal to develop an art department that would study blockchain art and NFTs within the Department of Decentralization. Of course, I said yes, first of all, because I thought it was the best idea. And secondly, because I thought it was incredible that finally one of my friends didn't think I was crazy talking all day about blockchain. We started developing the art department of the Department of Decentralization. And through that, we started writing. The first thing and the simplest thing that we could have done was writing and formalizing concepts and doing research. So we published our first paper, There's No Such Thing as Blockchain Art, in early 2019. It already included NFTs and continued to research, organize events, organize roundtables, just get educated as much as possible. Throughout the writing of our second paper that discussed different organization and funding mechanisms for cultural organizations and obviously discussed also NFTs, it was through the pandemic and I was sort of having fun with the DeFi summer and the shitcoins, but I noticed there was something about NFTs because I couldn't get the paper to a place that it felt timeless, that I didn't have to update it immediately after one week. I continued like that. It took me seven months or so. Along the way, I met Lindsay from Foundation. Foundation was selling physicals attached to bonding cards back then, and they were about to launch their first NFTs. We continued our dialogue, and finally, I actually got the paper to a place where I thought it was timeless or that it would resist at least a couple months. A few months. Yeah. yeah. That was February 2021. Immediately we pushed publish and people exploded in our faces. It was insane. I think I still think the paper's timeless. I still haven't found a better topic to write in our third paper, nor that I have time. Uh, but it was so big that I felt so stupid for publishing a simple 40 something page 
research that I was like, what am I doing? I've been writing about NFT since 2018. I've been researching, trying to analyze everything very thoroughly. And I never studied a business. What's wrong with me? I was still working at Golem. I was still getting a salary. At that time, I was like, okay, I have to start a business, need to think, talk to a few VCs, talk to some friends, had some ideas, but none of them were really cooked. I was also in conversations, nerding out on DMs with Trent Elmore, who had founded Yam Finance. So I was in conversation with him over DMs, sharing things from my papers. And he was like, yo, maybe we start something. Let's start a Discord. Let's maybe start a decentralized gallery raise money. I don't know. Trent is a brilliant guy full of ideas. He had lots of them. We got everyone on a Discord, including Sam Spike, who's now one of the co-founders at Finilier. Really, from the first call that we had, the three of us, it was just immediate. It felt right. It was like everything was flowing. It was super organic. I said, okay, I'll call my lawyers so we can start a company. <laughs> mm-hmm. I right. met these guys over the internet and it was still the pandemic so I couldn't travel to meet them so I, so yeah we lawyered up and started JPEG yeah no, I know how you feel uh, I have a gallery called the Blind Gallery and we are a team of five and we all met online we now met once in real life but yeah at the beginning it was like I've been working for five months with all these guys but it's all online. It's all like online friends. We saw each other maybe face to face doing Zoom calls and this kind of thing. But it's a different thing. When my friends ask me, hey, what are you doing? And then you explain this thing. I met all these people online. It's like a special thing, I think, from the Web3 space. It's not common in other areas. Yeah, it's definitely special. It's also definitely very risky. I've been extremely lucky. I think you have been very lucky too, because this space is full of scammers looking to make a quick buck. Once you find the right people that are interested in culture or interested in building better systems, like I said before, it's really rare. I think we're super lucky. Yes, but in a way, some people are very lucky in the sense that they have an idea and from one day to another, it kind of moons. There is a lot of users and traction. But on the other side, if you are building something and it takes a few months or maybe a year, and those people are still working in the project and you see the dedication from every day, you can filter out like, okay, these are legit. These are people I would like to work with for a long time. But you're right. There are many scammers out there and it's a tricky space. You were mentioning, you talk us through how you met all these people online. You had a good feeling. It was flowing well. And you created a company, which is JPEG. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. What was it about? It was, you call it decentralized gallery. Initially, we were thinking of creating a decentralized gallery with a decentralized curation board. And uh, Trent wanted to call it Nakamoto Gallery. I don't think I ever said that on a podcast, but there it goes. Um, (laughs) That was a little bit cringe. And then he came up with uh, JPEG and I'm a very big fan of the workplace. That was the perfect name. And JPEG evolved basically of a TCR. TCRs, for those who don't know, they are lists of data that's verified by token holders that state their tokens in order to verify that data input is actually correct and it belongs to that list. The TCRs were born around 2017 
uh, people were thinking that they were the future back then. They didn't take off for a number of reasons, but some of them were created for generic data and others, the right incentives weren't in place. We thought that TCRs for NFTs, to verify NFTs, to classify NFTs, and to create better discovery in NFTs were the perfect use case for TCRs. We decided to take a big risk in trying to bring back some concept that I already knew that it didn't take off the first time. But as Mark Andreessen says, there's no bad ideas, there's only bad timing. We did, and we started building JPEG. The first product of JPEG was a, a system where people could create their own exhibitions of NFTs that they own or not. That would help us start creating a database. Those exhibitions would be recorded on chain for a permanent record of exhibition and provenance because we also wanted to start building several blocks that would conform better provenance for NFTs since metadata is not enough and transaction history is also not enough. We need context and we need depth and we need a lot of things that just transactions don't offer. The first prototype of JPEG came out in July of 2021. We curated an exhibition ourselves called Deep Time. With many seminal pieces, we had people exiting through a gift shop. And the gift shop actually wasn't a gift shop. It was figure 31s and 0x months salt, dynamic NFT, smart contract-based artwork that rotates through a cycle of 180 images. It sold out immediately. We were super happy. And then we decided that we wanted to keep on building this exhibition platform for more people. So we continued around that route. We made a small pivot, as they say, but then we returned to the original idea of JPEG and the TCRs. We built alongside exhibitions, we built the JPEG cannons and the cannons are a curator because they're post curated lists of NFTs around particular categories. They're crowdsourced. We've had over 200 people. Some of them are here as well in the spaces. They contributed to 13K governance actions. It was the most incredible conversations I have ever seen in the NFT space happen on the JPEG Discord and keep happening on the JPEG Discord. It was really a good time. It was a great product, but JPEG is VC funded and we need to scale. The canons in their current form actually don't scale properly. They require a lot of human labor. We love that labor. We really appreciate it. Every JPEG community member also became part of our friend group. It was still a friend group and a friend group is not a product unless you're friends with benefits. The Canons had a lot of trouble scaling before we ran out of money. Having enough funds still to experiment, we decided to pause the Canons take a breather and see what's a better way to serve more and more people in the same way that we serve the JPEG community. I really think that we brought the meaning purpose. We brought a little bit of sanity and context to the NFT space. That sounds like an exciting journey. You clearly had a product that found a community of supporters and also was built on top of very strong technology, because just listening to you, how you explain all these technicalities about NFTs is very impressive. But of course, as you said, you were establishing a company. It was VC funded. So at the end of the day, the company needs to be sustainable. And that takes me to the next topic, which I think it's uh, an exciting. I want to hear your opinion. We are in a tricky time where we are seeing the market for a few months drying up a bit. There are many companies these days that 
were created during the or a little bit before the ball run. And some people are wondering what will happen with those companies that are doing okay, but not so great. Similar to what happened to JPEG at that point, which was a you know, monetary decision. My next question is on the state of the market right now, the state of the NFT art. What are your thoughts? We are in 2023. You've been around since the early days. You saw some of the first concepts of the NFTs. You have seen the technology evolving. You have seen a lot of enthusiasts join the space. You have seen the evolution and where we are right now. And I wonder, how does it feel? What are your thoughts on the state of what's happening with NFT art these days? Little disclaimer, I'm a little bit, I'm better, but I'm still a little bit of broken hearted over my company that I think it was amazing having to take a hit because people didn't see the depth on NFTs and didn't understand that NFTs need cultural infrastructure to be taken with gravitas and to be taken seriously. My view of the market is quite pessimistic. I'm also disappointed because We've seen such incredible degree of experimentation, especially when it comes to experimentation with smart contracts as a medium, which is my favorite kind of NFT art. And somehow all of those efforts are in danger of being glossed over because there's still a craze for the market getting better, for attracting the very last drops of liquidity that there is. I'm concerned because I do love the art. I do love the community or some of it. I also love some of the companies that have been built around. I think there's a lot of innovation happening and that have happened in these past years. We need to protect it in a way or the other. It's very hard right now to protect that. Just because, first of all, if we start with the VC climate, those people, not all VCs are bad. I actually really like the VCs that we work with. We talk to them a lot. They were instrumental in keeping us sane throughout the posting of JPEG, but VCs are chasing constantly the next big thing. It's their job. I understand that. Uh, Liquidity is drying up. What happens when you're in bear markets or financial downturn times is that people are in a state of crisis. The previous bear market was a little bit of an idyllic place because people were really convinced on the ideas of blockchain. We understood our shortcomings. We understood that a lot of the technology had not been yet built and that it was a collective effort for us to continue building throughout the bear market in order to bring the technology to life. The technology is almost here now. And there's a lot of smoke and mirrors and PFP stuff, invisible, crazy marketing companies from a bubble, which is what we had in the past two years. Those companies represent a really big gravitational force that attracts everything into a black hole of NFTs are scam, people love to say. It's hard to be inside of the industry and understand that just for a few bad apples, your work and your peers' work is in danger, but I guess that's how life works. I'm not optimistic about the market, but things are getting better. Things are definitely getting better. Crypto-wise, things are getting better. Not this week, of course, with the curb hack and everything that I just learned about, but they're getting better. Yeah, I agree. I read a bit about the hack, but I agree with everything you said. Um, Over the past year, we have very solid technology. There are very strong marketplaces. I'm a big fan and follower of generative art, and I feel like there are many marketplaces, platforms that have very strong technology. That was built over the 
past two years. In a sense, the technology is mature. The question is, what happens next? But I do see some bright spots. Actually, one of those is this movement of the digital art starting to be shown in physical spaces or the digital stuff. I know you have been working in a very exciting exhibition with an institution, which is kind of uncommon to see in the space because it's a bank. I wonder if you could tell us a bit about this event that you are uh, organizing. What is it about? What kind of artists are there? What kind of institutions? What can you tell us? Because I think it hasn't been announced yet. No, we haven't announced. So uh, also, big shout out to Malte that arranged uh, our introduction so I could uh, leak some alpha in your pod. A few months ago, a JPEG was approached by the Berliner Volksbank. For those that don't live in Germany and don't know what I just said, it means the Berlin Bank of the People. Um, <laughs> I, I used to live in Munich. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but I used to live in <laughs> Munich. And I know those terms, but it's very, very yeah. complicated. <laughs> the Berliner Volksbank is actually one of the largest cooperatives in Europe that resonates with the concept of DAOs. I knew about the Berliner Volksbank and the way that it works as well. Because a while ago, I was consulting for a project that was building for DeFi. And the Berliner Volksbank was one of our study cases. Because it's a very successful bank. It's huge. And it still functions as a cooperative. So it was really amazing when they, they contacted JPEG and asked us to curate an exhibition featuring works from their collecting institution. They have a collecting institution that collects artworks from Eastern Germany, especially before the fall of the wall of the Berlin Wall and the NFTs. It's been amazing to work on this project because, first of all, they give us incredible freedom. We proposed the concept that I thought it would never pass. I thought that they were expecting to see pretty pictures. They went for our concept. Our concept's name is Market Makers. Market Makers seeks to explore the tensions between the traditional finance world and the crypto world tries to find parallels. For example, one of the big parallels here is obviously that this huge bank has a collecting institution. Different uh, DeFi products and DeFi projects also collect actively NFTs or launch NFTs, as we have seen, for example, with Eigenlayer lately. There's uh, also NFTFi and, and so on and so forth. I guess that also the bank calling this group of randos to curate an exhibition about NFTs to educate their private banking clients and their young clients about NFTs and crypto. It's a really big deal. This passed a lot of like corporate approval and the whole cooperative and everything. I think it's a huge step forward, even if the bank is a German bank that no one can pronounce. It's a really important bank here in Germany. So this exhibition is truly a one of a kind and the level of trust and letting us just put forward our crazy concept that actually criticizes them as well as criticizes the crypto world. It's just huge. Yeah, totally. It's an institution which the, the whole point of crypto is kind of challenging for banks. The, the centralized finance could be seen as a, a challenge for banks. So the fact that a bank is promoting this digital exhibition promoting crypto, promoting digital assets and the blockchain, that's very powerful. At the same time, it's a kind of a statement on how accepting that that's something that's here for a bank, not only the artistic part, but also 
the technology. I've been reading the news about different banks. It's hard to understand what's really happening, but many banks are actually preparing themselves to join the crypto movement in a way or another, let their customers get access to crypto. In this case, it's very interesting because it's related to art. When is the, the date for this exhibition? Is it happening in the next couple of months or is the date not defined yet? No, the exhibition is happening on the first weekend of October. We are actually opening it some days before. I believe that it's from the 5th to the 7th of October here in Berlin in a very cool artist-run space in the Leipziger Strasse, another name <laughs> that shouldn't be pronounced. It's really exciting because the first proposal to the bank board, actually, we compiled the proposal, we compiled the concept and everything. I had to search for NFT examples that explore these tensions. It's been really funny to pitch on every single bank meeting, Bitcoin, and CVPs, uh, artworks, negative value certificates. I'm really having a lot of fun just assembling the whole thing. I'm working with a team too. I'm working with Stina Gustafsson, the person that pitched me the art department of the Department of Decentralization. So we still work together. She's a brilliant curator. I'm working with Chris Dake-Tet. He's part of Terra Zero. It's a blockchain project that's tries to use smart contracts to get forests to earn self-sovereignty. Chris has been working with me on a series of exhibitions here in Berlin since last year already. So he's part of our team. And I'm working with also with Simon Denny, who is an artist and curator that has been working with blockchain since very early on. He did probably the first blockchain-informed artwork for the Berlin Biennale, then went on to curate a fantastic show, Proof of Work, that I went to see in 2018. I was really fascinated by it because I've never seen blockchain art live. And I got to see it in Berlin because he curated it. Um, it's another opportunity to show people how, how forward is Berlin with regards to experimentation in blockchain art and smart contracts as a medium and so on and so forth. Mm. That's a fantastic team, by the way. What about the artists, Maria Paula? Can you name a few of the artists that will be showcased in the show? Or is that um, a secret? It's not secret. It's just that we haven't really started the selection. I have a few of them because I needed to get some physical pieces. So we're very lucky that we've gotten one of Mitchell Chan's physical digital songs of immaterial pictorial sensibility. We're so excited about Mitch sending over, I believe that we already have the certificate. We're showing one of those. We're obviously showing the master of finances and money-making opportunities, CBP. He's also one of my favorite artists, so I'm very excited to show CB. We're probably going to show some of USD bills. We're showing Sarah Mayojas as well with Bitcoin. I'm only going to introduce the ones that actually I asked for permission already because they're going into the bank press. And then the rest of the pre-selected, I'm just going to hold because we're still in the selection process. Finally, we also are going to show the KCAN Vessels. It's also a project that I advise, basically the Wisdom Vessels. Imagine Wisdom as a currency. You can mint a Wisdom Vessel, their generative artworks, and the Wisdom Vessel starts generating an ERC-20 currency called Wisdom. With Wisdom already, you can start buying artworks on the Netnel marketplace, which is the project's own art marketplace. It's another proof that there can be really beautiful use of both smart contracts and finance as well 
in a way or the other or currency as a medium. That's amazing. That's a very strong lineup of parties and pieces and, and you haven't even started the formal selection process. Sounds very exciting exhibition, Maria Paula. I hope I can go. Maybe I can visit it in October. I live in Spain, so I'm not too far away from Germany. Would love um, to give you a tour if you come. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Very excited about that. We're coming to the end of the hour. We have five minutes left. How is your time? Can you stay for 10 more minutes, Maria? I think you told me you Definitely. had to do a hard stop. Okay, that's great because you also have a talk coming for Friends with Benefits, which, by the way, it was the first time hearing about them, and I feel like it's a very big event. Can you, can you tell us a bit about Friends with Benefits? Friends with Benefits started as a DAO of creative, and I'm not part of the DAO. I'm not actually part of any DAO, but I really admire what they do. I really admire the culture that they have built as well. It's basically a DAO that aims to build culture and aims to have creatives talking with each other. And I think that's fantastic. Now the DAO has like incredibly prolific creatives and many other people in it. And it's scaled and it's obviously funded by existing set now. So it's a huge business. They do this yearly festival, the ESW Fest in California, where they really are trying to show internet culture from many angles. I've been invited to speak there and I'm really looking forward. They also have an amazing musical festival lineup, which I haven't been in a festival for a long time. I'm looking forward to enjoying that as well. I'm going to be talking about building cultural organizations, building decentralized cultural organizations. I'm going to be walking people through several cultural organizations, including Friends with Benefits, but also covering, for example, Serpentine Galleries to step into Web3. Serpentine is one of the most important galleries of the world. I'm going to be talking about the HEC, the House of Electronic Arts in, in Switzerland, that has been at the forefront of innovation in decentralized technologies. Just today, they launched some kind of Discord, potentially a DAO. That's very exciting. And many other museums that I discovered throughout my journey of uh, just talking to people from different spaces than Web3 that have started DAOs. There's a museum in Germany also that started a full DAO and that now they're thinking of the next steps. I'm going to be surfacing a lot of the informal and formal cultural organizations that are born in Web3, including JPEG. What do we need to actually make them scale and get them to be sustainable? Right. That's a great, important point. Just one question. You mentioned you are not part of any DAO. Is there a particular reason for that, Maria? Uh, no, I'm actually postal. Honestly, I've just been really busy working. I never paid attention. And once mm. I wanted to join the DAO, then the price of the token was really expensive. That was really complicated. And then I forgot again. And then I'm just busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I feel the same way, actually. Every time I try to join, there are a few DAOs that I would be interested in joining, but I have the same question. Will I have the time? to actually participate. So I keep checking the price and sometimes I go up and it's a thing. If you are in too many DAOs, you probably don't have time to see what's happening. Maybe you can, depending on your schedule, you can be part of one, two, three DAOs. But if you have, if you're working, if you have many things going on, it's hard to actually be part of DAO. I'm part of Bright Moments and I think that's a very good one because I usually vote for the next city and it's not a very complex decision. I was just curious if there was another reason. Would you say the cultural institutions and making them sustainable, what's an approach to do that? Maybe the question is also related to how does 
cultural institutions in other areas, in other industries, in other, not in Web3, are sustainable? Are they usually funded by the government or not? I wonder, since you've been in the space for a while, this is a very interesting topic for you. How can we accomplish that? How can we make this Web3 cultural institution sustainable? I don't work in any, I only started one cultural organization and now I gave it away, the Department of Decentralization, because I thought that a Department of Decentralization can't have the same managing director for a very long time. So JPEG Discord is actually my favorite cultural organization, which is facilitated by the members. In the real world, cultural organizations are tied up to a lot of not only coordination, but funding problems as well. Some of them are very prolific and they have amazing donors, but you need to sort of be able to understand what's the landscape of donors that are interested in culture. You need to grow your cultural cachet and make people understand that actually contributing to the organization is going to signal that they are important people. Obviously, there's also like smaller cultural organizations. One of them is Trust, an organization here from Berlin. They like to call themselves a utopian conspirators, and they do a lot of research and a lot of speculative design that sometimes intersects with crypto and sometimes not. But it's a very exciting one. That's one of the two that I'm contributing to. They're not DAOs. One is the Department of Centralization. The other one is Trust, where I'm a donor. I've seen how hard it is for these organizations to get funded, how bigger organizations actually need to issue their own grants program to help the smaller ones. I'm by no means an expert, but I've learned a lot from the things that they do, and I admire them a lot. I understood as well that in Web3, we do need cultural organizations. I do believe there is a culture behind crypto. I'm not sure that Web3 is the right term, but there is a culture behind crypto. We have a very marked ideology, at least the people that are here because of the promises of decentralization, the possibilities that blockchain allows. We do have a very marked ideology. There are also very different interesting streams within that ideology. There's people that call themselves blockchain socialists. There's people that are purely neoliberal. There's also very neutral people that want to do everything by the book and want to collaborate with the governments and live in harmony. There's also all that part of the network state. There's so much art. NFTs are the cultural artifact of crypto or Web3 culture. The majority of people don't seem to understand this. If we don't seem to understand it, then how can we preserve it? And how can we make sure that people don't think that NFTs are a scam or that Web3 is a buzzword or that crypto is just full of people like Sam Bankman Freed? We need to actually organize, try to preserve, try to communicate the culture because otherwise the efforts will dissipate as well. So... In essence, what I want to convey actually is showing the, the negative, but to surface the positive and to surface a response in people of saying, hey, hold up, actually, we have a crypto culture. Um, Friends with Benefits is doing things around culture as well. It's not only a festival for cool people. The DAOs, Flamingo DAO has been collecting seminal art pieces. Fingerprints DAO has been at the forefront of smart contract art as well. There is a lot, but we need to create avenues, we need to create dialogue, and we need to create a united front in order to surface the landscape. That's a great reflection, especially if we think purely about NFTs. 
many of the NFTs artists work even for collectors. The pieces they have collector are dependent on many of these protocols, many of these technologies that are built by companies. And if those institutions are sustainable, then there is a big risk of, as you said, losing all these artifacts. That's a very interesting topic. Maria, thanks for sharing your reflection. Very interested in your talk in Friends with Benefits. In general, it was great chatting with you. I hope we had more time. I will always be happy to have you again in the Twitter space slash podcast. If you just joined recently, this is recorded and this will be shared on my newsletter, but also in all the podcasting platforms. I'm doing this every Monday and then I distribute it every Wednesday or Thursday, depending on how long it takes to edit the episode. Thanks a lot, Maria. Anything else you would like to share before we end this episode? No, I think I talked a lot. People need to rest. <laughs> Thank Thanks you so lot. much for having me. Yeah, hopefully I can see you in, in Berlin for that exhibition. Sounds yeah. amazing. Have a great day, Maria. Thank you. Bye, you too. Bye. Bye-bye.